Hi everyone from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live, on tape, from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the financial technology company LiquidNet. On today's show, David Bank, who's editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha, chats with Michael Wilkerson. He's the CEO of Tujende, a social enterprise that's got a plan for alleviating poverty in Uganda. Tujende is changing how drivers of the country's ubiquitous Boda Bodas can buy their own motorcycles and start to climb the ladder of prosperity. Let's let Michael introduce us to the world of Boda Boda drivers and the story of Tujende. Let's go. Hi, I'm here with Michael Wilkerson, the CEO of Tugende, a social enterprise based in Uganda that helps uh, uh, motorcycle drivers lease to buy their own motorcycles. Michael, how did you get to Uganda? Well, I did what a lot of students in their freshman year of college do, which is enjoy their newfound freedom and figure out ways to to get even further away from their parents. (laughs) So I was looking for a way to go to a developing country uh, the summer after my freshman year of college. I applied for a bunch of sort of funded internships uh, at my university, Stanford, and got rejected across the board because I was a freshman with no experience and only one quarter of grades on my transcript. But I cold emailed, I had a professor help, and I ended up working at a newspaper, the biggest not government-owned newspaper in Kampala, Uganda, called the Daily Monitor. So you got there as a, as a journalist. I always like journalist-turned-entrepreneur stories. Um, so you, you ran around the country covering what kinds of stories? Mostly political. The first story I got to do was going with somebody to parliament. And at the parliament in Uganda, uh, you actually have to wear a tie in the press gallery. And I didn't have one, but this is a common thing. So one of the other sort of parliament beat reporters had an extra in his pocket and gave it to me. And uh, when you were out on the beat, uh, uh, running around in, 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 in the countryside and whatnot, how did you get around? Well, um, initially, lots of sort of taxis. But in Uganda, taxis are just a guy with a car. And so you, it, you don't know how to find them, where to find them. Eventually, I started riding motorcycle taxis, which in Uganda are called Boda Bodas. And in fact, the first one I ever took was from outside of the Daily Monitor office to Parliament. And it was terrifying. It felt like a roller coaster. You're sitting on the back. He's, yes. You're holding on for dear life. You're in downtown traffic and weaving in and out. Yeah. The, this Luckily, uh, the speeds in Kampala are not terribly high because of the traffic. Um, and it's really gratifying to be moving through a traffic jam where everyone else is stuck and you're on a motorcycle just going through it. So I rode my first motorcycle about two weeks uh, into my time in Uganda and then never stopped because it's, it's the best, most efficient way to get where you're going. And um, motorcycle taxi drivers, Boda Boda drivers are everywhere. Tell us about how the Boda Boda drivers themselves make a, make a living. Boda Boda drivers basically just, yeah, take passengers on the back of their motorcycle. The law says they should only take one, but I've seen motorcycles carrying five, maybe even seven people. They can carry an inordinate amount of goods, so they actually also work as sort of a lubricant for the economy. I mean, transporting things from one place to another. If you're a mechanic and you need to get a spare part from the spare parts market, you know, you're doing it on a motorcycle. I've seen, I've seen a windshield delivered on a motorcycle, which looked terrifying to hold as you're going through traffic. Um, so the average 
Boda Boda driver is a relatively young man, usually 18 to 30, who has chosen to do this because it's, it's a cash-generating job. So a lot of jobs in Uganda, including the police, don't get their salaries on time. So there's a big advantage to you know, working in a business where you're earning cash on a daily basis. So the first Boda Boda driver that I got to know really well is named Mehdi. And Mehdi had dropped out of school um, when his family couldn't afford the fees anymore, started working as essentially a mechanics assistant in a shop that repaired motorcycles, and then got somebody to give him a motorcycle to rent. So we think that there are about 400,000 Boda Boda drivers just in Uganda, uh, about 200,000 in Kampala and the metro area around Kampala, and most of them are renting. So it's an informal rental agreement. You basically find a guy who is your landlord who says, okay, you're gonna pay me $4 a day and you're gonna rent this. Like all landlord situations, there are conflicts between the tenant and the landlord over who's responsible for maintenance, what happens if you have an emergency and can't pay. And for the Boda Boda drivers, another big issue is that the landlords are not a company. There's no formal rental agreement. And being a motorcycle landlord is not as easy as it sounds because you still have to collect the money. So sometimes the landlords themselves run into trouble and will sell the motorcycle out from under the driver. And so you can lose your job for no reason because your tool is taken away. So um, Mehdi was the first uh, Boda Boda driver in my, in my first stint in Uganda who didn't look at me, see that I'm white, and give me a, an initial price offer of about triple what it was supposed to do. So that was really refreshing. Also, this was in 2006, and mobile phone penetration wasn't where it is now. So most Boda Boda drivers didn't have a phone yet because they're sort of at the bottom of the pyramid, and, and Mehdi did. So once I knew that he was giving me good prices and he was a nice guy and, and he had a phone, I just started calling him to pick me up wherever wherever. Um, he was your I personal needed. Uber Boda Boda driver. He was, and he 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 he's Uber in many ways in that you know he can get anything done. Um, in journalism terms, he's the ultimate fixer. So I taught many to use email so that we could stay in touch, and we set up an account and we stayed in touch. I came back to Uganda for another internship at a at a magazine that one of my Ugandan journalist friends started two years later. And then I moved back to Uganda full-time after college doing journalism and media research work and then decided that I wanted to invest some money that I had accidentally made in the stock market and ended up financing Medi and some other Boda Boda drivers to own their own bikes. In my second summer in Uganda, still on an internship, Medi took me to meet his mom in a village about an hour from Kampala and he showed me that he had built this house for her you know, brick, one room, dirt floor, but it was hers. He built a house for his mom after paying off a motorcycle. So he was lucky. He was, you know, he was a really charismatic, good guy. And so he was able to get somebody else to give him an informal loan so that he could own his own motorcycle instead of renting. And so he was able to use the gains from paying off his first bike to build a house for his mom. So that was sort of the second aha moment for me, like, this is really cool. So if a Boda Boda driver could get the money to buy the motorcycle as opposed to rent it, then they own it, and then at some point they're 
free and clear and the profits are their own and they can then use it to build other assets. Exactly. They make twice as much money per day if they keep operating it. It's also a valuable asset so they can sell the, the motorcycle they've paid off and start a new lease or loan and use the sale income to do something. Um, so I had all of this in the back of my mind and then I had a lot of jobs growing up like mowing lawns at a lawn mowing business and I learned about the stock market in eighth grade and decided to spend some lawn mowing money and I looked at the newspaper and looked through the stock listings and didn't didn't really recognize many companies besides Coca-Cola and Campbell's Soup but I recognized Marvel Entertainment and so I bought some stock in Marvel it was a dollar eighty at the time and totally unscientifically 13 year old me was like yeah that it only has to go up two dollars to double that that seems good coke costs like 50 you know eight nine years later disney bought marvel entertainment for about 50 dollars a share so your company yeah tugende is built on the shoulders of your 13 year old investment in marvel entertainment that's right we're built on the shoulders of superheroes <laughs> So Tugende, you got into business and you decided that Medi was a decent model for what other Boda Boda drivers might like to do, and then what does Tugende do? That's right. Tugende identifies uh, responsible drivers. Actually, they identify themselves. We, we have a huge waiting list. Every time um, we work with a driver, they go back to their peers and colleagues and people say, hey, where'd you get that new motorcycle? We work with responsible Boda Boda drivers who want to own their own motorcycle instead of rent. That's most of them, and then some who have an old motorcycle and, and need help upgrading. And our drivers pay us about 15% more per week than they would otherwise pay in rent, and they own their motorcycle in 18 months. So they pay you more than they were paying before, and they think that's a good deal. Absolutely. So the marginal cost is very low, and the payoff of ownership is very high. Plus, we do some training, we do support during our 18-month lease, you know, if they have problems um, with the traffic police, for example, or the, the motorcycle has a factory defect or something, we can help them out. And we include insurance for the driver, life, accident, disability. So yeah, so they pay us a little bit more. The way that we set the price actually was saying, okay, how much are you guys paying in rent? We want to put it a little bit above that because we want you to take this seriously. We want you to understand it's a, it's a serious commitment. How many months do you guys think is fair? And I think uh, Mehdi and another guy was at 16. And so we started with 16. It's now 18 because the price of motorcycles went up. But, uh, and, and the Uganda government added taxes on motorcycles. But the pricing strategy was we want you to take it seriously. What do you guys think is fair? And that, <laughs> that's how we did it. And you've helped Boda Boda drivers buy how many motorcycles so far? We have had about 450 leases completed. So it's a lease-to-own model. We have another 1,450 paying drivers as of today. So people on the path to ownership. So this is a classic kind of real assets kind of the lending strategy. You've got something you can repossess if they don't pay, I suppose and you've got a sort of predictable cash flow knowing you know some kind of maybe non non-payment rate but figuring that in you, you know you're going to get a certain amount each month is that easy to finance i know this will be shocking but um lenders have not been rushing to give me money for motorcycle taxis in uganda you know it depends on how you pitch it if i say i'm doing emerging market equipment finance in a market with no competition 
and I've got a waiting list and I collect 90% on time, then it sounds pretty good. But if I say I'm lending in the form of a motorcycle to an 18 to 25 year old male and motorcycles are the definition of a portable asset, then it gets a little riskier. So our early investment was from impact friendly angel investors who just like the model. They like that it's pretty simple. Yeah, these guys should get to own the key tool they use to make money instead of rent. And, and we've been able to grow the business. We've almost always been operationally profitable because our, our overheads are very low. We lost money for a few months when I started working on it full time because my early investors insisted that I pay myself because they were worried I would otherwise starve and they didn't want me to starve and then they lose their investment that way. So we're breaking even and we're able to buy about today 30 motorcycles a week just with our own cash flow, but we could be doing 60 to 100 with growth capital. So you're looking to raise some capital now uh, to be able to expand. And uh, as you say, if you pitch it right, it sounds like a pretty good, attractive investment. Yeah, I'm practicing. How, how am I doing? Well, uh, we'll see if any investors call you up, uh, let us know. How much are you trying to raise and, and how fast are you trying to grow? So three years ago when I moved back to Uganda to run Tugende full time, uh, we had 30 motorcycles. And today we have 1,450. So I'm, I'm very proud of that growth and I'm proud that we have 31 employees. But we think the market in Uganda alone is 400,000. So we're really a drop in the ocean at the moment. So our conservative growth targets for the end of 2016 are about 6,000 motorcycles and about 16,000 for the end of 2017. So I'm raising $3 million right now, of which the majority will be debt, but we're looking also for a strong strategic equity investor to come and help us, basically, somebody who's successfully grown businesses before. But we basically are looking for large loans that will allow us to not have a waiting list of approved customers. Asset-backed lending to the poor is, I suppose, the uh, broader category that this fits into, which is a form of financial inclusion, a form of uh, financial services to people who have, maybe don't have bank accounts, certainly don't have uh, uh, credit ratings. How do you see this fit into a broader picture of, of helping uh, bring low-income people into a better quality of life? Well, in our model, when drivers own instead of rent, they take home $10 a day instead of five. And in the average Ugandan household, which is five people, that can lift the entire household above the $2 a day poverty line. So we see that as an enormous impact. Philosophically, we think that self-employed entrepreneurs at the bottom of the pyramid should have the opportunity to own the key assets that they use to make a living. It doesn't have to be motorcycles. That's where we started because of my personal relationships with drivers, but it could be sewing machines. It could be anything. So our vision is to, to jumpstart a market in East Africa where there is no indefinite rental. There is no landlord. And if you're a successful bottom of the pyramid entrepreneur, you can upgrade to a better piece of equipment when you need it. Um, so we, for example, think that we, we can sort of inspire competition and that's our macro level social impact is that there won't be a rental market anymore. Because even the people who are informal landlords right now could offer the same deal that we're offering and still make a profit. So we think that's you know, a major area where this fits in. The other thing that I think about a lot is that foreign investment into Sub-Saharan Africa last year was about $50 billion. But 80% of the population is in the informal sector. And if you could just take a third of that, 
which is like 200 million people, and help each of them earn two more dollars per day, you're talking like $150 billion per year more at the bottom of the pyramid. And people who make an extra couple dollars at the bottom, they are investing it locally. They are micro-venture capitalists. That money is going to starting other small businesses, to putting kids in better schools, healthcare, owning land and, and building homes instead of renting. So the economic impact of empowering people from the bottom up is enormous. And, and transformative in a way. This is not just like philanthropic, we're really nice and we like to help poor people. This is, they can transform the economy on the African continent from the bottom up. Factories are still important, you know, tech jobs, call centers are still important. Natural resource extraction, I'm not a huge fan of, but that's a major driving force for the economy in Africa. But again, if you can just help people do what they're already doing, they're already hustling, they're already striving, and they're working their way up, and what we do is not really to, to give them anything, it's just to accelerate their trajectory upward. What does Tugende mean? Tugende means let's go. And it's actually what you say when you're on the back of a motorcycle taxi. The driver will say Tugende and you say Tugende. Tugende. Michael, thank you. Thanks a lot. Special thanks to Tugende's Michael Wilkerson for speaking with us. Since that conversation was recorded, we've received a few updates from Michael which you can learn about on this episode's landing page at impactalpha.com. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts these days. And be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. It helps other people discover our show. If you have any ideas for us or comments or suggestions, please send us an email at info at impactalpha.com. We love hearing from you. For more news on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at Impact Alpha and visit us at impactalpha.com. Be sure to sign up for a newsletter there to keep in touch. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thanks, Isaac. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon.